Inside Podcast. My name is Tyler Bubbles, and welcome back to Palm Sunday, or Sunday of the Passion, for the week of April 10th, 2022, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig in this week's podcast, and I'm excited because there is a crap ton to cover this week. There is a lot of text to cover, a lot of ground we have to cover, a little time we have to do it, but it also kind of reflects on where we are within the church year. We are in a very busy time of the church year. There is a lot going on, a lot of things that we're all trying to have come together, but I think it's also really important, especially with this getting into the last week of Lent here, to be thinking about, to be contemplating as we are at the sixth Sunday of Lent to be able to process what we're going through and not jumping ahead to Easter. And I think one of the things that I will be getting into in Easter is how often we jump to the one day and don't even recognize some of what we're reading. But we'll get into that next week. So first we have to look at the question from last week, which was, who do we need to acknowledge and who do you need to acknowledge? Very poignant questions, and I think it'll tie really well into this week's talk and discussion that we have this week, but I think acknowledging and understanding the ones who aren't being heard. That can be indigenous people. That could be, in my case, I would argue the environment a lot also. I think it means really being observant to things around us slowing down enough to be able to absorb it in, especially like right now where we're at within the Lenten season, not jumping ahead to Easter, not just focusing on the plans that we have for Easter, not just focusing on Palm Sunday and okay, we got to read this and then how are we setting up Holy Week? Absorbing it. It's the problem of what our bodies need to do, why we need to make sure that we are eating a fibrous diet to make sure that we are absorbing content that we're allowing ourselves the time to actually process what's going on. If we don't do that, it makes it difficult for us to be able to fully grasp what we're actually going through here. So as we jump into the text this week, let me break it down this way. We will do the Liturgy of the Palms. So which is going to give us the psalm reading and then the gospel text out of Luke referring to Palm Sunday. And then we will get into the Passion Sunday, which will have all the readings there. So let's just jump into it. The psalm then for the Liturgy of the Palms will be Psalm 118, verses 1 and 2, and 19 through 29. This is having us recognize the love that Christ has for us. And in doing that, we are entering into this relationship. And the more we lean into that, the more then that we are understanding this relationship. And this is where we get some of these very quotable lines that we know of where, especially with where we're going if we are jumping ahead. The stone that the builders rejected became the chief cornerstone coming from verse 22. That we have this understanding of leaning into God more and more to recognize and know that our success doesn't come from us, but it comes from God and it comes from God from what God is about to do. But also recognizing that the salvation of what God is doing for us, especially the Psalms being in the Old Testament, that it's that connection that we have with God, that we're laying things in front of him and that the steadfast love of forgiveness is what welcomes us into this next phase of connection with God. The gospel text that then goes with Palm Sunday is out of Luke chapter 19 verses 28 through 40. So this is a fairly familiar passage, but let's make sure we're picking up some of the key differences that we have here in Luke. 
we have Jesus is coming toward Jerusalem. And as he enters Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he tells two of his disciples to go out ahead and say there is a colt there that has never been ridden. Untie it. If anyone asks about it, say the Lord needs it. This is exactly what happens. And especially one of the things that I was brought up in text study this week, it's one of the few times where the disciples are told something and they actually do it. This whole week as leading up to the cross, whenever the disciples get told to do something, they actually do it and do it well, which does kind of show a progression of where the disciples have gotten to. But I digress. They get this colt, bring it back to Jesus. They lay their cloaks on him and he rides it in to the backside of Jerusalem. There are no palms in this one that they're laying down at their feet, but they're laying down their cloaks on the road. They are praising him loudly and acknowledging him saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven, coming from verse 38. The Pharisees then are telling the the crowd to teach her, order your disciples to stop saying this. And he responds with, in verse 40, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would cry out. Then, let's jump into the Old Testament text then coming for the Liturgy of the Passion comes from Isaiah chapter 50 verses 4 to 9a. This is talking about some of the difficulties of at times being the gift of teaching, where God has given Isaiah this gift of a teacher not to be rebellious, but to open the ears of the people and that the ears of Isaiah is being opened to be able to hear the Lord, even if it means some of the insults or the pulling of the beard, the different things that are hard, that are difficult, but understanding that none of those adversaries stand up to what God does and it's only God who declares them guilty. It's not for them to declare The psalm that goes with the passion is from Psalm 31, verses 9 to 16. And this then gets into some of the grief and distress of what we know is coming here. That when we are going through this trial and tribulation, this is where verse 14 rings out, but I trust in you, O Lord, I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and persecutors. Let your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your steadfast love, going to verse 16. That when these difficult times come, it's that those times we lean in heavier. We have to trust in God to get us through those difficult times. The New Testament text is coming from Philippians chapter 2 verses 5 to 11. And that God did this out of love for us. Not to put us on the equal playing field with God, but to connect us by doing it through the human form and emptying God's self for us. And how far that God was willing to go for that for us. And that in praise, in obedience, in thanks, that we recognize this and that we are humbled by this and realize that there is nothing that we can do that ever equals near what Christ did for us. The gospel text this week, you better grab hold tight because this is a lot of reading. We are in Luke chapter 22, verse 14 to chapter 23, verse 56. We are basically going through two chapters of Luke. So what do we all have covered here? There's quite a bit. 
there is Holy Communion being given for the first time in Luke's text and talking about how the disciples, even at that moment, are fighting between them on which of them is the greatest. Jesus kind of putting this aside, even calling out Simon, Peter, and recognizing that he is going to deny knowing Christ three times before the cock crows. And Jesus even acknowledging at that point what one of them will betray him. And that the things that they're going to need are different this time as he is going through this. And they go to the Mount of Olives and he tells them to pray that they don't go into temptation. He throws himself down to pray and cries tears of blood, which is a rare medical condition. I'll attach some stuff down below, which is called hematidrosis, this rare condition where a person is sweating or crying blood and it's typically associated being under high stress which we could assume that Jesus is under at this point. Judas arrives and gives the kiss. We have the cutting off of the ear and Jesus healing that back. Then we kind of get this beginning of this discord of Peter being recognized but yet not wanting to acknowledge and having the three times where he is finally asked and denying it, and then the cock crowing and reflecting on that, and people mocking Jesus the whole way. If you're the Son of Man, if you're doing all these prophecies, why don't you save yourself? Why don't you do something? We get to this point where Jesus gets brought to Pilate. Pilate, learning that he is a Galilean, sends him to Herod. Herod, who is interested in meeting him, has been wanting to meet him because he's heard so much about him, but doesn't think he deserves death, so sends him back to Pilate, which ends up mending their relationship. And again, Pilate, the whole time, not really wanting to do anything, is suggesting releasing Barabbas. And Pilate doesn't think he's worthy of doing anything, but yet the mob mentality has taken over. Crucify him. Crucify him. You then have Jesus having the bringing of the cross up to Golgotha, which isn't mentioned in the text, but bringing it up and the process of that, getting where he's beside the two criminals and one of him mocking him and the other one saying, this man hasn't done anything. Well, you know, why are you doing this? And Jesus telling him that he's going to join him in paradise for recognizing this. Jesus, again, then at the cross being crucified and yelling out to God, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. The people getting to the point where they're casting lots for him. He dies after being, again, continually mocked during this whole thing. And when this all happens, then a few starting to say, well, certainly this was something greater than what we had initially thought. And when that happens, he gets buried in a tomb that no one had been buried in. Joseph of Arimathea is the one to take his body and the women see where he is buried. They are preparing their spices and ointments, but wait until after the Sabbath to go and honor Jesus in that way. So there is a lot in this text, and this is a very quick, brief skimming of what this whole text is. But before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do our shameless plugs for 
Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainwaves podcasts, their commentaries, their discussions, having seminary professors talking about these texts along with other biblical scholars being able to write up commentaries on these and having multiple years worth, especially since I'm not an ordained minister, I really enjoy using them on a week-to-week basis to help bring you this podcast. I'd highly recommend checking out workingpreacher.org if you haven't checked that out. But I'd also highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from the Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. One of the things that I think that really sets it apart, I really like how they lay out their texts. It really helps me as a podcaster going through these texts week by week. But the big thing is that they have the art to go along with it, going through with throughout time, throughout countries. It's really helpful to be able to see some fresh and new perspectives on how these texts have been looked at and thought about and interpreted. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that also. This is a difficult Sunday because we are trying to celebrate things, but we're trying to also set ourselves up for what we know is coming. I talked about, actually, at a tech study this last week, how we interpret times at this time and space, how we understand the Holy Roman Empire at this point, how we're understanding Jerusalem. Imagine trying to be like a newspaper writer, if there was such a thing, and keeping up with the news. Because within 168 hours or one week, Jesus goes from cult hero to dead. And it's almost this twisting of how the public perceives him throughout this week changes that pushes this narrative forward. It challenges our thoughts and understandings. One of the things that I found this week that was really, really good, worth checking out, is a book called The Last Week. I'll attach some links down below. But one of the things that gets talked about with the Palm Sunday side of this is that this processional was almost a little bit of a mockery to the Holy Roman Empire where they were having a very prestigious parade bringing in your big royal figures and in this case like Pontius Pilate over the area coming in through the main gates where here Jesus is kind of coming in with this ragtag parade and celebration for Jesus by the peasants and partially why the Pharisees are like, dude, don't do this. You're in Holy Roly Empire territory. Like they're literally entering the gates on the other side here. Like, why are you doing this? And Jesus kind of sticking a finger a little bit to it, you know, kind of, no, I don't care at this moment. There's reason for me to at least be acknowledged here for a moment. But I think also as we are moving into the passion part, I think it's recognizing how when Jesus has said some controversial things and he'll do that this last week here at the temple, the people turn on him. These people who were celebrating him, maybe it was a small group, maybe it's a minority, but you get the impression that the people who were with him were no longer with him. As we even get in the Luke version of the Holy Communion, talking about that they were still with him almost referencing that he's lost people this last week. And then we get into the crucifixion, like the whole public perception of Jesus has suddenly flipped on a dime. And it's one of those things where within the 21st century, we can understand this. This is our social media culture. How often we are so quick to make judgments and how quick public perceptions of people change drastically overnight. Here, Jesus is going through that. 
It almost seems too fast for it to be the first century. But that got me thinking as we talk on this podcast, where is the science in this? What is the science tie-in on this? And as I was going through some of my different science sources and places that I was going through, I started recognizing that something that we talked about at the beginning of Lent had popped up again that was being discussed. And that is the intercontinental panel on climate change and talking about the people who it took to work on this and how this is a very tight window that we have to work to be able to try to potentially reduce the long-lasting effects that will forever change this planet by climate change. And according to a New York Times article, how the panels talks about to keep us under the thresholds, we have to reduce world emissions by 43% by 2030. And by the early 2050s, stop adding carbon dioxide into the atmosphere to make these goals of making sure that we don't increase the planet's temperatures by 1.5 degrees Celsius or 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit, which seems ambitious, which seems unobtainable in a lot of ways. And how, as a person being part of a first world nation and how I've grown up and how I understand the world as a white man in the United States, seems impossible. And it got me thinking about how do we get to this point in many ways. Science, in its essence, is the trying to understand knowledge, trying to obtain and learn about things. And a lot of times to learn things, we have to understand their past. And so if you look, and I'll attach some links down below, like when we started early climate science, first it was just understanding the atmosphere, understanding these things. But part of even what it gets into is like understanding our past, doing ice cores and understanding what was the atmosphere like at that point and understanding that there are air molecules that are trapped within the ice cores that we then can understand what the parts per million of carbon dioxide was at the time of these different snowfalls when they compacted down making layers of ice. Understanding that we were at much higher levels than we have been before. Understanding that this isn't quite a normal cycle. Understanding that we are then becoming the point where we are the problem. And as we talked about in the podcast on March 6th, and I'll attach that also down below, how this is going to affect a lot of people. It's going to affect a lot of poor people in particular. Countries that don't necessarily have the funds or the means to do something about it. While also costing first world nations that have the money and resources do it a lot of money trying to preserve what we have. At what point do we just recognize that we need to change, that we need to modify, that we need to adapt instead of just continuing to push forward? But that's Holy Week. That's the persecution. That's the people calling out and saying to Jesus, if you're really the son of man, then do something and stop something. Make it all better. If you think about those comments, they're greedy comments. They're sticking, making fun of Jesus. Their comments of, it doesn't feel so good when you are on the wrong side of things, does it? You're wrong. You appear to be wrong. Then do something. Fix it. Or are we right? The prevailing thought, the way that things have always been, is right. And as we will see in the upcoming weeks here, and as we have been 2,000 years from the cross, we understand that that wasn't right. When I look 
at like the Isaiah text where it's talking about the pulling out of the beard that I'm a teacher, the insults, the spitting. Does that not sound like where we're at in the world? And even me as a person who has grown up in this and is more of an environmentalist, I will also say when I'm looking at these reports and I'm looking at my life and I'm looking at what would need to change and I just take a sigh and say, I don't know if I can do that. It seems like too much. But that's where I think it's really important to be looking at like the Philippians text where the love of what Christ did for us to pour things out for us, but to also tie it back to Palm Sunday through the Passion. That the disciples do as much as they can, doing even what seem like little things until they get to the point where they can't do anymore. You see, for us to be able to drastically change the environment, it's not necessarily going to come from just government changing things. It's going to come from us. It's got to come from actions that we take, small changes that we do to make things better, things that we don't feel like are a big deal but become a big deal. The analogy I kind of think about with it is you don't go to the gym one time and work out one time and suddenly are a hundred times stronger. But it's those times that you keep going and going and slowly increasing weight that suddenly you look back and you're a lot stronger. The issue that I find is especially a lot of these IPCC reports have been telling us we need to make those small changes so it makes it easier to do this. But the problem is that we have ignored it, so now we do have to do a lot of small changes quickly to save what we know. Does that also mean potential for new things if we go into a world at higher climates? Sure. But it also means that everything that we've known before is completely out the window. And this isn't something that we are being led into by God, I would argue. This is something that we are imposing upon ourselves. The baggage and stuff that we are carrying along with ourselves because we are saying that this is important. Instead of switching to an economy that is based upon a system that's sustainable, that we can maintain, that the world can maintain, we have decided to go into a model that doesn't maintain it, that leads to death of everything we know. Now, I'm not going to sit here and claim that I'm a climate scientist and can completely tell you what's on the other side if we reach. I know life will be more difficult. I understand that we're suddenly going to have less land to deal with. There might be some things that are a lot harder and we might have more mass extinctions than we already are having, but you can read through your reports yourself. But it's not that dissimilar to where the texts leave us this week. And as we kind of will hear these again on Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, these hang and they sit and they hurt. In my view, the environment is crying out. But I also don't want to be blind to this year as we're coming potentially back together and having some type of service together for Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday that we haven't had in two years. There's a lot more that hangs on that cross this year. The things that we used to know that we can't go back to, the things that we have missed out on, the things that we're trying to come back to, but we're realizing we just can't do, the traditions and things that might need to adapt and change now, the things that we have to stare and look ourselves in the mirror and say, is this worth it doing it this way? Or is the pain no longer worth it? 
And some there, yes, but some need to be hung on that cross and like the flesh pass away. As we are re-entering our world, I think it's worth acknowledging that maybe it's time for us to really stare this into the face and realize that maybe a connected world in a different way using renewable energy and making sure that we are acknowledging people who haven't been acknowledged before and making sure that we are trying to be good stewards to what's been given to us and trying to look at traditions that maybe need to be let go of, looking at ourselves in the mirror and being brutally honest and saying, is this really who we want to be is needed? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Do we take that too lightly? Do we take that 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 doesn't apply to us? Or should we really think about and look at that and think about maybe that means even still here today? Father, forgive them for they did not understand that this was the only place that was given to them. Father, forgive them before there are people that they have lived their whole life working this stuff and are still being told that they're wrong. Father, forgive them for their greed is getting in the way of them actually prospering. Because greed is preventing us from change. And it's not that dissimilar to the Pharisees yelling at Jesus as he is trying to continue to push forward a narrative of change that has been continuing through the gospel. Are we willing to do that? What are we willing to lay down and sacrifice? Because Christ sacrificed for us. That's our question this week. What are you willing to sacrifice as an individual and as a community? Because especially coming from the United States, we too often think about just ourselves. We don't think about the community. And to get through all the craziness of what we've been going through, we've had to rely on the community, even as we were isolated. We do. Where we are at in the world, we need to be able to recognize these things and work together on these things. And this week, there will not be answers. Next week, we will begin an answer, but I don't think it's the final full answer. And we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. We have to be willing to understand that this is not easy for Christ. And thus, there are times that we have to be willing to change and acknowledge a lot of times that our greed for what we know or the greed of being in control prevents us from actually sacrificing and growing. Our world is depending on this. Our environment is pleading for us to do something about it. And will we acknowledge that call? Or will we just sit back and say, let the change happen, that we no longer have any idea of what it's coming? Personally, for me, I really hope that we take the sacrificial change, like what Christ did for us as an example, realizing that there may be something to be learned in sacrifice, especially being a white male in a first world nation to be able to benefit my community as a world community that extends beyond the human race. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.